Open your Bibles today to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. If you were here last Sunday, we began a brand new series of teachings and ministry uh, focus on the subject of family. And uh, praise God, what a thrill. You know, I've been thinking a lot about this, obviously, looking forward to having the opportunity to minister along this line. Matthew 7. And I was thinking about my, the, my pastoral experience in counseling. And I was trying to put a percentage on it, but I, w- I would say conservatively that the vast majority of my counseling time with people is over family and marriage issues. And, you know, as, so as I mingle, a shepherd with his sheep, uh, praise God, and as I mingle, and, and as a pastor, you just get to walk through life with people, the good, the bad, the ugly, you know, uh, and you're, you're trusted many times and invited into people's darkest, most difficult moments, and that, I've always tried to reverence that. I mean, even if there's devastation in the marriage because of sin, to me, to be invited in, asked in, to be part of the solution and the repair and the healing of that, to me, is a precious and holy and, and honorable thing. But what I've seen is that in interacting with people, uh, where's, the most, where's the greatest source of challenge? Where's the greatest source of unhappiness? Where's the greatest source of unfulfillment? Where's the greatest source of difficulty? My pastoral counseling experience says it's right in the, it's under roofs in people's homes where people are living and dwelling together. Amen. And so, you know, there's no pain like family pain. And if, if you are in a home where, uh, that has not been broken, you, are, you ought to be supremely grateful. Because that's the, that's the rare thing. You know, if your mom and your dad are still working it out and walking together, and it's semi-sweet, you ought to thank God. You ought to thank God. You know, my home as a kid was broken when I was about 11. And I remember, I will never forget this memory. Dr. Savelle said there are certain things that will happen to you in life that mark you. And I, I, will, I remember, oddly enough, I was in my restroom. I'm just 11 year, 10 year, 11 year old boy. And who has this thought? But I, I thought, I had this conscious thought, I got a beaver cleaver family. You know, and I don't know if you remember Beaver Cleaver, but it's like everything, no problems, everything's just, everything's just wonderful. Unfortunately, as a kid, I didn't know what was going on behind the scenes. And I had no idea what my parents were about to tell me. They had said to my brother Ben and I, uh, stick around right after dinner because we have a surprise for you. Now, I know that's a very unfortunate word. I know my mom, if she can hear me in heaven today, I don't think she can, but uh, I know she regrets using that word because I thought I'm getting a new G.I. Joe after you know, I, I thought I'm getting a new, you know, race car or something. You know, I, I thought I'm getting something good. And the surprise was her telling us that she didn't love my dad anymore and that she, that things were going to be different for us. And so, you know, you, I don't have to tell you, you you've been around, you've experienced things. There is no pain like family pain. But no matter what life, no matter what people, no matter what has brought you to where you are today, God cares about you more than you know. And he can do far more in restoring and repairing it. Maybe the marriage can't be put back together. 
You know, people go on, they get remarried. And that, you just can't undo some things. But there can be healing in you. And you don't have to walk around like so many adults who are really just wounded kids. And they're still spewing out anger that they had birthed in their heart from when they were nine, eight, six, seven, whatever the deal is. You need to let God heal you. I know what it's like, you know, uh, that movie years ago, you may not know, but a movie came out called Frequency. And it was all about this young man who, whose firefighter dad, I believe, died. And, uh, but because of the, uh, the, the aurora borealis or whatever, you know, he was able to communicate with the dad of the past or something. I don't know. But you get to the end, and now dad, the, the past is being rearranged, and now he's playing catch with his dad in his front yard. And every time, I, I just cry like a baby. Anything father-dad that comes up, I just start bawling. Easter Sunday, my dad's standing here. And I'm, I'm just bawling. Why? Because I didn't have him growing up. Four days a month. That's what I got. Four days a month with my dad. Amen. But I'm telling you what, I, I, I'm not broken on the inside. I tell you what, even if you have a God-ordered, God-designed family today, your family can get better. Your family can get sweeter. Your family can get stronger. Your family can be more fruitful. So I don't care what your station is, what your dynamic is, here this morning while you're, there's something here for you to get, something to learn. Are you with me? So let, let's read this again. We want to have, be sure we reserve enough time to get into the main thing God wanted me to get into with us today. In verse 24 of Matthew 7, Jesus said something so far-reaching, so foundational, so fundamental for every area of our life. I pray that you pay attention to His words. He said, therefore, whosoever hears these sayings of mine, to them I will liken unto them as a wise man which built his house upon a rock. Now, for our purposes in this series, the house is the family. A household is represented as a family today, right? You could build your house on a rock. How do you, how do you build a house on the rock? You have to hear... The sayings of Jesus and do them. If that is you, you're wise in the eyes of the Lord. You're wise in the eyes of the Lord. Amen. Are you wise in the eyes of the Lord because you hear the sayings of Jesus? No. No one is made wise because they hear. Wisdom only comes when you do. Hello. Then he, then he made a contrast. He said, but he that hears these sayings of mine and do with them, we don't, we don't say do with anymore, does them not, doesn't do them. We, he said, I will liken that man to be a fool. That man is a foolish man. That woman is a foolish woman. Why are they foolish? Because in not doing what they heard, they have built a family on the sand. Amen. Now, in verse 25 and verse 27, Jesus describes events that happen to both households. Right? Verse 25 says, And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that family. Now, if I could say it that way. And it fell not. It fell not. 
Why? Because, it, because of the foundation. The foundation of the home was built on doing the Word. Could I say it that way? Jesus is the Word according to John chapter 1 and John chapter 1 verse 14. In verse 1, Jesus is called the Word. So all the Word is Jesus. And Jesus is all the Word. And so if you will hear the Word, if you will uh, learn the Word, study the Word, and do the Word, that is how you build your family, your marriage, your children, your grandchildren, everything related to your family on a foundation that will stand there in the rain and be fine. Stand there in the wind and be fine. Stand there and the storms of life will beat, 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 beat on that family. See, it's not the beating that destroys the family. It's what the foundation was built on. You see, we can't point our fingers in family and blame the wind and blame the rain for the destruction of our family. If our family, if, we, if I, I'm a dad, okay, and I, I'm a husband and a dad, so I, I, I entered into that covenant, I began that covenant, and we decided together, and God's blessed us, we've had three children. So we purposefully started a family. Amen. If my family gets destroyed, I don't have anything or anyone out here to blame. Because it won't be that thing that knocks my foundation. It'll be, what did I build my family on? What did I build my marriage on? Amber and I have never had one counseling session with one minister, one pastor over our marriage, not one. And I wouldn't be ashamed to, to confess if I needed that. We, we don't, people say marriage is work. Well, I guess it is, but we've never, have you ever worked on our marriage? Uh, well, here's the way I'm going to say it. She's going to say, oh, I've worked a lot harder than you think, brother. Here's my perspective. Amber and I's focus is on being a doer of the word. And that's work. Being a doer of the word. But that sort of replaces working on our marriage. Because you can work on your marriage based on wrong books, wrong counsel, wrong wrong, wrong culture, wrong thinking. What I've tried to do is to do my best. Of course I've failed. Of course I've missed it. But I've tried to look at the Bible. And what does the Bible say? A Christian, godly husband. What does that look like? And I've tried to do that in my home. I've tried to glean what I could glean from the Bible about parenting. And I've tried to do that in my home. Have I had rain? Of course I've had rain. Have we had storms? Of course we've had storms. Jesus said we're going to have storms. But do you see what I mean? If the home is destroyed, it's the builder's fault, not the storm's fault. Uh, no condo bondo. No condemnation, but we need, to, we need to rightly discern things. Now, they have some amazing technology today. And, and they can fix faulty foundations. They can drill piers. They've got big enough equipment, they can flat jack up your house and relocate it. And so listen, if you're listening to the word under me today, and you realize, I got my, I got my marriage today built on the sand, there's hope for you. Just make a decision. From this day forward, I'm a doer of the word in my home. 
I'm a husband. I'm a, I'm a husband that's a doer of the word. I'm a wife that's a doer of the word. I'm a child that's a doer of the word. And the Holy Ghost will jack up your marriage in a good way. I know we use that phrase, jack up, you know, kind of. And move it off the sand. Come on and put it right on the rock. Hallelujah. Woo, glory. But listen, we can't, we can't leave and go on until we look at the other side of the coin. Every single one under the sound of my voice, you can make a choice to go, I'm not doing any of this. My life is fine. You know, a lot of husbands, they get served divorce papers and they were shocked. They had no idea those divorce papers were coming. Because they never look beyond their newspaper or their self or their belly. Because here's how a lot of wives can be this way too. I'm just talking to husbands right now. A lot, of, a lot of people can be like this. If I'm okay, it's okay. How selfish is that? Hey, if I'm okay, things, it's okay. And then you, that's how you get served divorce papers and be shocked. What do you, what do you mean? Be, what, do you, what do you mean? What do you mean? You thought you judged it okay, but you weren't interested enough to find out if she was okay. You found out when you got the mail that she's not okay. We're only scratching the surface of the message so far, so hang on. See, someone that says, I know there's a Bible. I know, I know there's instruction in there. But I like it the way things are. And bless God, she, she ought to be glad about me. I, 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 I'm not changing. They're just going to have to put up with me. Well, they might, and they might not. Either way, Jesus is in heaven saying, fool. Fool. Because you have a choice. I can either do the word in my house, or I can not do the word in my house. And we can all, and we are, all of us are making that choice. What we cannot choose is the outcome. Because rain's coming to every house. And the rains of life are going to show out your foundation. And one day, see a lot of, especially, you know, guys and females too, they're, they're pride. They don't want to know, they don't want anyone to know, have any idea that there's not anything imperfect going on in their home. Listen, we're all going to find out. When a big enough storm comes along. We're all going to find out, dude, what kind of foundation you built your life on. You might as well just lay aside your pride. Amen. And lay some cinder block if you need to. Come on. Go, go with me back to Psalm 112 just real quick. This isn't ultimately where I want to go either, but you need to see this too. Now, um, Deacon Philip, did we get... Scripture lists in the hands of folks. Okay, uh, I updated the scripture list as I promised. I've added some scriptures to our scripture list. So uh, if you didn't get one on the way in and you want one, if you want to raise your hand, our ushers will come around and get you one. Or you, we got one right here in the front row. Uh, or you can get one as you leave on the ushers table. Amen. And uh, praise God. So anyway, that's coming around. Psalm 112. See, I want to show you in Psalm 112 that our choices 
we make today and how we conduct ourselves in our homes is going to affect future generations. It's going to affect. You don't get to do what you do without harm to others or without invoking a blessing on others. You are not an island unto yourself. What you do is going to impact people. What Amber does affects me. It affects me. The way she thinks affects me. If she, I need her, we've been married, it'll be 25 years this January. But all of that could be flushed if she decides tomorrow to stop being a doer of the word. We have to make daily commitments. I have to make a daily commitment to be a doer of the word. Because I could greatly affect, I could greatly affect her. God intends me to be the greatest blessing on earth that she would ever have in a human being. But I could be the devil to her if I chose to. Thank God I'm not going to. Psalm 112 verse 1, Praise ye the Lord, blessed is the man that fears the Lord, that delights greatly in his commandments. His seed shall be mighty. What's he saying? If I'll praise God, if I will delight greatly in God's commandments, it's going to affect, my walk with God is going to affect my seed. Let me tell you a story I heard recently. I heard of a, a story just recently, and this happened years ago. Uh, a young couple, and they were out in uh, town, and someone came along that had a mentally, I'm going to use the word, I know it's not PC, but that's the word they use, retarded child with them. And they made fun of that retarded child. They joked, they, they had a good laugh over that. Sometime later, they conceived... They conceived and bore a child that was mentally retarded. And God said to them, I didn't do this to you, but you reaped what you sowed. See, what they did in their Christian walk right then affected their seed. That particular seed, unless God does a miracle, will not be mighty in the earth. And it's because of what their mom and dad did. I've heard story over story about um, a woman conceiving. They're carrying a, an embryo in her womb. But there's strife in the home during that time. And the, the child is lost. Or there's birth defects. All kinds of things. These things are spiritual. Listen, no condemnation, right? About the past. But I'm bringing you here to say the way you interact in your walk individually with God, moms, dads, affects your seed. I want my seed. My seed are going to be mighty in the earth. Look at this. The generation of the upright shall be blessed. So in other words, if I will live upright before God in my generation, in the generation to come, they will live upright. Praise God. Anyway, glory to God. All right, <laughs> let's go. Where are we going to go next? Let me get back over to my notes. Y'all kind of got quiet on me there real fast. Amen. Praise God. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 5. 
And I still want to talk for the remainder of our time about our foundation. Jesus said the outcome of our family depends on our foundation. And so we're going to talk about a foundational issue for the remainder of our time together. Y'all comfortable? You got a few more minutes? Praise God. The word is good. The word is good. Praise God. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Paul says, Be ye therefore followers of God. Followers of God. And then what did he say? And walk in love. And walk in love. As Christ also have, has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Then he contrasts it with some of the gross sins that are out there in the world. So God, Paul tells us here in Ephesians 1 and 2, Be ye therefore children of God, followers of God, imitators of God. Yeah. Amplified says, copy me. God says, be like me. Do what I do. Be like I am. And then what's the first thing he said? Walk in love. So the title of my message today is The Love Boat. You have to be a little older to get the joke, but The Love Boat. So every member of the Cody family that's in the auditorium, come, come out here. Oh, Faith, it's going to be okay. Just be your pretty self. It, it, come on, Rex. And Ryan must be serving. Praise God. She's fine where she is. Here's what I want us to get, right? Remember I said at the end of last week's message, and if you weren't here, I'll catch up, that the, the, the unique dynamic about a family is, is that there's more than one. So the future, the outcome, the quality of what happens in the family cannot be determined by one. You know, in a marriage, it takes two. For us to have the relationship God ordained, I, I can only do my part. I can't do her part. She can't do my part. So it's just one of those things. To have God's highest and best, you're going to have to find you someone who is as committed to God as you're committed to God. See, if you're unmarried and you want to be married, this is a key thing. Way before do they kiss good. Are they committed to God? What are they going to be like 10 years from now? Are they committed to God? Are they a doer of the word? Are they in love with Jesus? You want to marry someone who is committed to doing their part in the marriage. But then when children come along... Now we're family. Here's what I want you to see. Everything. Picture Ryan. Everything. We are all in this boat, the Cody boat, together. You think about the, if I just, if the wheels come off of my life, let's say morally. They're in this boat with me. And what if I let immorality get in and rob me of my ministry and my reputation? I'm not a carpenter. I don't know how to do that. They're in this boat with me. 
I could sink the boat. But you know what? Faith, if she wanted to, as a young adult living in my home, she could bring hell into the home if she wanted. She could go to try to rebel and sneak out at night and sleep around. And, and I'm in, I'm, I would have to be wet with her. I, 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 and I'm willing. I'm committed. I'll walk through whatever hell I've got to walk through. But I'm thankful, at least what I know. At least, am I good? Okay, praise God, I'm good. But see, look, my daughter, has a, my daughter has a commitment to live her life before the Lord, to please the Lord, and we should, when, because you do that, sweetie, you bless the boat. You're not going to sink the boat. Now, Rex, oh my God, he never caused me a moment's trouble. Faith doesn't cause me any trouble either. This is the thing. You can't say one good thing about one and it not it applies to the other. Do you get my point? Faith, you come on. We you know we love you. Praise God. You know, she's gonna have more pulpit time in the ministry as things goes on. She's gonna have her chance to get me back. You know, I've been raising my kids since we little. You love God and you're going to serve mom and dad, help mom and dad with the ministry. That's what we're called to do. God calls a man, calls the whole family. So just for the newcomers, I don't want to hear, ever hear this nepotism word. Because we've been raising them up all these years. And they'll pay their dues and they'll do all that. But anyway, praise God. So anyway, you get my illustration. This is the thing. So the more each person is committed, then we can keep the boat afloat. Now, you guys go sit down. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm going to say the word anchor in a bad way, like a drag. In your family, in your love boat, in your boat that is your family, are you an anchor or a sail? Are you a drag? Or are you a canvas that God can blow wind into and move the family forward? Can I show you something else? You have to go all the way back to the beginning. You can navigate your Bible, right? Genesis chapter 18. I want to show you in Genesis chapter 18 why God picked Abraham. You know there's a reason why God picked Abraham for that assignment? Since Adam, no one really came into a covenant like this until Abraham. And God ordained a man named Abram, Abraham, to be the one through whom all the families of the earth would be blessed. What a call. But there's a reason why God chose Abraham. Okay? Uh, let's read it to you. Genesis 18, verse 17. Genesis 18, 17. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and a mighty nation. And all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him, for I know him. What does God know about him? He will command his children after him. Oh my. And his household. Let's stop. What did God say that he knew about Abraham? Abraham will regard my command. He will do what I tell him. And... He will command his children and his household to do what I tell them. He will train his family to serve me. 
Praise God. For I know him that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment. What's that mean? I know him and his family. They will live right. They will do right. They will live right. They will do right. Now notice the outcome. That the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him or to him. This is so weighty. You ought to, you ought to I don't know if I, I think I put this on your verse list. Is it on there? Okay. You ought to meditate on this. Why did God choose Abraham? Two reasons. He's a godly man and a family man. Who's God looking for to partner up with in the earth? A godly man and a family man. A man who will train his children. A man who will live, in, live for God in front of his children. And that's what this nation needs more of. That's what our church needs more of. We need, and thank you men. Thank you men. I, I commend you men. Live for God in front of your wife. Pray in front of your wife. Tithe in front of your wife. Do right. Be right in front of your wife, in front of your children. Because if you don't, it's going to affect them. And if you don't, it will affect what God, how much of what God has for you is He able to bring into your life. He said, this is why I chose Him, because I knew He would do right before me and in His family so that I could bring upon Him everything I promised Him. What is He saying? He's saying, we determine the degree of how God can use us in the earth based on how we conduct ourselves in our family. You don't get family right, you might as well forget the ministry. Don't make me take you to 1 Timothy chapter 3. He that desires to be a bishop desires a good work. But he says, you know, he better manage his household well. Because if he doesn't know how to take care of his own house, how can he take care of the house of God? See, if I can't take care of my little house, how can I take care of a big house? It's not that you can't make mistakes. But you better have some things established. Notice, I, God says, I choose, I choose that human being right there to come into this kind of covenant partnership with, to give him the beginning assignment to get my son into the earth. And the reason I can choose him is because he's a good husband. And that he'll keep his covenant with me, and he'll make his kids do the same thing. And if, if Isaac needs a spanking, he'll give him a spanking. Abraham took his daddy to church. You know, Abraham took Isaac to church. I mean, you know what I mean? He lived before God in front of his kids. I'm going to say it again before we move on. Time's getting away from us. The degree, how much of what God has ordained to do for and through your family and for you. God says, I chose Abraham because he foresaw how Abraham would conduct himself before God and in front of his family, he said, I can trust him. I can bring into his life. You see, the things that God had for Abraham would outlive him. God thinks generationally. That's why my, when my dad was here Easter Sunday, see, that's why he's so key. He's so key in the plan of God for the Cody's and for the grandkids because... He stood up and said, I'll be the one. I, I'll, I'm going to stop all this dysfunction. 
I'm going to break the curse off my family. No more adultery. No more cheating. No more lying. No more fornicating. No more, you know what, what I grew up before my home broke was my dad is a scotch drinker. He goes, oh, that's the first thing he did. Clink, 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 clink. He never did anything out of that, but, you know, why do you need that? You shouldn't need that. And, and all the stuff that went on behind the scenes that my mom hid and the, the home broke. And I'm not blaming him, but I just thank God when he met Jesus, he said, all that's over. All that's over. From this day forward, I'm living for God the rest of my life. It took a while for that, for that momentum to show up in Ben and I and the other boys, but it did. I said it did. I'm your pastor today. My brother's a Bible school teacher. Come on, all my, all my brothers, stepbrothers, all, we all love God. We're all born again. We're all water baptized. We're all serving God. Amen. All right, quick, quick, quick. 1 Corinthians 13. So I had to show you that in Galatians. How much of what God has made available do you want for your life? And, and young people who are not married yet, you need to think about that. You ladies, you need to marry yourself an Abraham. See, if you're wise, young men, what are, you, you'll bring that, that candidate to church. And you'll send me a text message and say, Pastor, i got somebody special with me today. And I'd like you to scan them. When you're under the anointing, I want you to scan them in the Holy Ghost. See, for my kids, here's my plan. I'm going to scan them. Mom's going to scan them. If they get through those scans, I'm going to have Pastor Nancy scan them. And Dr. Jacob scan them. And if they get through all those scans, Amen. well, we'll think about it. <laughs> because if they don't pass all those Holy Ghost scans from men and women of God that God's put in my life, I'm not going to endorse it. Okay, some closing thoughts here. The meat of what I was going to share. Remember, you're in 1 Corinthians 13, right? We're talking about our foundation. Love is foundational. We're all in the boat together. The love, what boat? We're in the love boat. For your family to be sweet. For your family to be fun. You know, when you get off work, guys and gals both, you... You ought to know something's wrong if you're looking for reasons not to go home yet. That's not good. I said, that's not good. When I get done with my pastoral duties, I'm racing home. I want to kiss her on the cheek. I want to see her lovely face. I want to hug my kids. I want to, I want to be around my family. I love my family. My family's fun. We have a good time. We laugh. We don't scream at each other. We don't devour each other. We don't punch holes in the walls. We don't throw stuff at each other. We're in the boat together, so we made it a love boat. Now, love is the greatest commandment of all. Love is the greatest commandment there is. From the old to the new, love is the greatest. 
Somebody asked Jesus one time when he was on the earth, under the law, they asked, what's the greatest of all the commandments? He said, that's easy. Love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, your strength. And the second is like unto it, love your neighbor like yourself. And your closest neighbor is your mate. Now, people in the New Testament, especially in recent years, we've had such skewed teaching on grace. If you watch Christian TV, I hope you haven't been infected by the hyper-grace message. That message that says, because Jesus paid it all, you can do anything. It don't matter. No, you're still under law. You're under a law. And if you don't obey the law, you're going to get it just like I'm going to get it. I'm going to get judged. Things are not going to go well. What's that law? The new covenant law is not the Ten Commandments. It's the divine law of love. I'm commanded to love you. You're commanded to love me. How? We read in Ephesians 5, the way... I have loved you. We are supposed to love each other. So part of building a solid family, a great foundation in your family, is everybody's got to buy in to the love law. Everybody. Everybody in the boat. And really this ought to come from husbands. I'm laying down the law in my home. And it is the love law. And I'm going to be the first to hold myself to it. Because we can't have God's blessing if we violate His law. You know, every step outside of love is sin. I said every step you make out of love is sin. You got nine more minutes or so before I let you go? The great destroyer of all human relationships is selfishness. The great destroyer, come over here, of all human relationships is selfishness. No family broke where selfishness was not the culprit. It's selfishness that cheats. It's selfishness that gets addicted to porn. It's selfishness that spends all the money and controls all the money. It's selfishness that says, this is all about me when I'm here. Nobody ended up before the judge in divorce court where selfishness was not the guilty party. If a home broke, somebody was selfish. So listen, this is what you have to guard yourself against in your family. The enemy of selfishness. Now listen, I'm, I, I would say I'm, I'm fairly well spiritually developed. I'm not in the childhood stage of Christianity anymore. I'm, I'm not full grown, but I'm, I'm a fur piece in my Christian development. But listen, as spiritually developed as I have become, as the Lord's helped me to be, if I let myself, I could be as mean, selfish, I mean self-centered, self-focused, selfish as anybody in Paducah. And all of us can. All of us can. See, walking in love means I am actively, ongoingly, daily putting my foot to the neck of my own selfishness. Because I can't obey the love law and be selfish. 
And everyone is inherently selfish in their soulish being. Everyone. Even Pastor Amber. If she doesn't keep her foot down, it could be as selfish as anybody in Paducah. And we'll always be that way in this life. The reason, see, even among Christians, oh, we're having fun. I can see your faces. How much more of this we're going to endure? Weeks worth. Weeks. Weeks. Weeks and weeks. Might as well just get happy. I'm going to save myself lots of counseling hours, Mom. This is, where, this is where the pain is. This is where the trouble is. This is where the heartbreak is. This is where the disappointment is. So since we're in this boat to get see, my mentality is I'm not leaving. I'm not bailing. I'm not bailing out of the boat. So we better make it a love boat. And I don't, I don't have time. I am going to fast forward. I don't have time to take you. But love is commanded all throughout the scripture. Commanded, commanded, commanded. 1 Corinthians 13. And let's begin our descent to the end of the message here. I'm going to read this from the Amplified, the first couple of verses of 1 Corinthians 13. We know this is the love chapter in the Bible, right? If you want to know about divine love, this is where you go to learn about it. In the Amplified Classic translation, there's a new Amplified out. It's not near as good. The Amplified Classic is what I'm reading from. Paul says, if I can speak in the tongues of men and even of angels, but have not love, and I'll skip what's in parentheses there, then I am only a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers, the gift of interpreting the divine will and purpose, and understand all the secret truths and mysteries, and I possess all knowledge, and if I have sufficient faith so that I can remove mountains, but have not love, God's love in me. Okay, get this next part. What does it say? I am nothing. I am a useless nobody. Well, that's hard. Please let the record reflect. I did not say that. Ponder this for just a moment. You can understand all the spiritual secrets. You can move mountains with your faith. You can prophesy and it come to pass. You can flow in the gifts of the Spirit. You can be the most anointed person in the church. And in God's mind, be a useless nobody. You are nothing. King James says, I am nothing. I am nothing. You know, Paul, talking about himself in this verse, he saw the Lord. He had visions of the Lord. He went to heaven, Amen. came back to tell us about it. Amen. And he says, if I don't have love, God's love in me, I'm nothing. Amen. I am nothing. Yeah. I want to say this to you. It's not what you know that makes you something. It's not your anointing that makes you anything. The Bible says, if you don't have love, God's love at work in you, 
you're nothing. You're nothing. I'm nothing. I am nothing. I'm useless if I don't have love. God's love in me. Doesn't matter how powerfully my faith is. Doesn't matter that I, and I have. I've seen blind eyes open. I, I speak with tongues. I, I do, it doesn't matter. If I don't have God's love in me, I am nothing in the eyes of heaven. The Moffat's translation says it this way, I count for nothing. A lot of you can serve, you're an intercessor, you're a prayer warrior, but if you leave your place of prayer and you're a jerk in your home, you're nothing. You're nothing. And it didn't count for anything. A lot of people are going to get to heaven, they're going to think about all the times they prophesied and all the times God used and all the time they laid hands and all the devils they cast out and all the things they did with their faith. Some of them are going to hear, it doesn't count for nothing because you didn't have my love at work in you. Wow. It's kind of heavy, isn't it? Let's keep reading. In verse 3, it says, Even if I dole out all that I have to the poor in providing food, and think about this, guys, and if I surrender my body to be burned, meaning like a, at the stake, which was happening in his day, as a martyr, in order that I may glory, but I have not love God's love in me, I gain nothing. Other translations say, uh, the God's Word translation says, but if I don't have love, none of those things will help me. The Weiss translation says, I'm not being profited in even one thing. Could you give away everything you have to the community kitchen to feed hungry Padukans and it not count for anything? It not profit you for nothing? If you did it to be seen, you did it to be a big wig, you did it to make yourself feel better? Didn't count for anything. Didn't profit you nothing. You're not going to get... Could you go to the stake as a martyr? Think about that. Could you go to the stake as a martyr and get to heaven thinking, I'm going to get that crown? He said, you didn't, you didn't do that for love for me. See, God sees beyond the action. Down into the heart of a man. Down into the heart of a woman. He knows. Come on, He knows. See, I could be a skillful pastor, but if I don't do it with a heart of love, God's love in me towards you, it's nothing. I'm nothing. It won't count for anything. Do you get that? The greatest of these is love. This chapter tells us that. There's three things that are going to remain forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. The greatest of these is love. So in closing, I'm going to just read uh, verse 4 through 8. We'll close. In the Amplified. And I want to give you your assignment this week. I, I want you, I would like you to commit each one in your boat. Right? And if you're single, you're, you're a boat of one right now. Amen. But if you want others to climb in your boat, make it an attractive boat. Yeah. A love boat. Come on. And, uh, but I would like every member of every family to read these verses three times a day, think about them throughout the day, and consciously practice this kind of love on your family this week. I got two amens and one I'll think about it. And, I, and a whole lot of, I'm not going to do that. Praise God. I don't know. Praise God. Anyway, this is our assignment. Amen. All right. Now, let's read this and we'll get ready, like I said, to be, to be finished for today.
So love endures long. Oh, we're happy already. Now, by my count, Paul in the Amplified here gives 27 different things that love does and does not do. Amen? Now, this is obviously talking about agape. Agape is the Greek word that God uses for His kind of love. There's phileo, and that's friendship human type of love based on emotions and feelings. You can't love with God's love based on your emotions. That's what's wrong with people. I can't love my wife, right? Some people have emotional-based marriage. Well, I, I thank God for my positive, passionate emotions I have for my wife and family. But that's not what I built my marriage on. Then the, there's another Greek word for love called eros. That's where we get the word erotic from. And that's love based on sex and physical attraction. Those marriages are doomed. Amen. They may stay in them, but they're going to be unhappy. Because you can't go the distance building a marriage and a family on sexual passion. You just can't do that. Because gravity is going to get everybody eventually. I'll just let your... <laughs> Praise the Lord. I don't care how many weights, weights you put. Your gravity's going to get you eventually. <laughs> Praise God. The love I'm closing reading you about, this kind of love, the God kind of love requires each one that loves this way to make a conscious... I've got to get Brother Scott back with me. See, if you're not having fun in church, you shouldn't come, right? You shouldn't come. <laughs> the only way to love with agape love is to choose to do so. I choose. That's the way God loves us. He chose to. He's not going to wake up one day and go, you know, I don't really feel like loving Cody the way I did yesterday. Oh, thank God. So this is a conscious choice that we have to make. Love endures long and is patient and kind. A lot of people are enduring, but they're not patient. They're not kind while they endure. They're going to let everybody in the house know they're enduring. I'll let you know I'm enduring. You know, that's, that's what they're doing. No. Love endures long and is patient and kind. Love never is envious. So something good happens to one of your family members. You don't have this painful, resentful animus that a good thing happened to someone in your family because it didn't happen to you. Love never boils over with jealousy. Love is not boastful. It is not vainglorious. Love does not display itself haughtily. What does that mean? Love does not parade itself in pride. There's no place for pride in your Christian home. And we all have it, and we have to deal with it and put it down. Get this one, number five. Verse five, it is not conceited. What does it mean to be conceited? You have an overinflated, false, positive view about yourself. You think you're all that and the bag of chips too. <laughs> it is not conceited, arrogant, and inflated with pride. Okay, guys, you ready to practice this week? It is not what? Uh-oh. 
You have to mind your manners in your home. You know, this love applies to every person on the earth and everywhere you actually go. So you shouldn't, we shouldn't be rude to the waiter. Hello. You don't get to be that way as a Christian. So it is not rude. It's not unmannerly, meaning God's kind of love minds its manners. It does not act in an unbecoming way. Now, there are things in my mind that are not unbecoming, but by her definition, they are. Things I might say, things I might otherwise joke about. But to her, that's unbecoming. It's not my job to try to convince her to come to my side of the thing. If I love, I'm going to adapt and I'm not going to behave myself in a way that to her is unbecoming. What would keep you from acting that way? Selfishness. Selfishness and pride. Again, the destroyer of all human relationships. See, if you're okay in your marriage knowing your wife is not okay, if you're okay in your marriage, wives, and you know your husbands are not okay, you're not right. You're not right. You need God's intervention in your life. Love, God's love in us does not, oh, this just gets meatier. Love does not insist on its own rights. Well, bless God, I have a right to come home and sit down, and I've worked all day. Working hard does not make you anything, husbands. Only love. Some husbands, they think, because I work the way I do, you have to put up with everything else. Because I work hard. Well, that doesn't make you nothing. The Bible says if you don't have love, you're nothing. I'm preaching good. Thank you, Brother Lon. Praise God. Preaching good. You know, it seemed like I picked on the guys today a little bit. But, you know, ladies, the fact that you're a self-sacrificing mom, that doesn't make you anything. It's love that makes us something. It's only, only love. So you fighting in your home for your rights. You're out of the love of God. And you might not have known this before, but you're leaving here accountable today. Love does not insist on its own rights or its own way. It is not self-seeking. God is love and everything He's doing is not for Him. Everything He's doing is to help us and bless us and protect us and nurture us. And that's the way we ought to be. How about this one? Love is not touchy. How do I look this morning, honey? Well, if you don't get the exact response... Love isn't touchy. Love is, love is not fretful. In other words, love's not going to navigate in its home in a standoffish way like that. Almost expecting you to do me wrong. Love is not fretful. Amen. Love is not resentful. In other words, in my home, you don't get to keep score. I don't get to keep score. There is no scoreboard. We're all in the love boat. It takes no account. We're all going to have to practice on this one. It takes no account of the evil that's done to it. So in other words, the love of God can have some evil done to it, 
And that love doesn't even count it. Crucifying Jesus, that was evil. And he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I tell you, it takes faith to walk in this kind of love. And you can't do this on your own. You know that. You're going to have to yield to the Holy Ghost. You're going to have to come back and we'll have to teach you because like I said, I've kept you longer than I wanted to keep you. It takes no account of the evil done to it. It pays no attention to a suffered wrong. He didn't notice my hair got redone. Sorry. Sorry. Love won't pay attention. My husband, man, they go, I washed the dishes and cleaned the counter, and she came in. It's been 30 minutes. She didn't even notice. That's all right, guys. Get over it. Did you do it to get a reaction out of her? Or did you do it to bless her and because you love her? Hey, you're welcome. <laughs> Amen. Woo, praise God. What a challenge. What a picture. But listen, what would your home look like? What would it be like if everyone in the Madala boat, and I'm sure they do, I've been to their house, everyone in the Madala boat has a love or. And they're all, and nobody, nobody's perfect. But everybody is doing what they can to love in the family the way that describes. Amen. You're going to have heaven in your house. Amen. Yeah, I said you're going to have heaven in your house. Do you want heaven in your house? Well, stop praying for it and, and, and start acting like you got the love of God on the inside. You can stand up this morning. Never once in my hottest anger have I ever even raised an aggressive hand. That would be, that would be a massive violation. And I'll say to God, it's not asking you to stay in an abusive situation. Love rejoices when right and truth prevail. Amen. Amen. Father, we bow our heads.